The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. And now, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on Voice America, America's Voice. I think I'm in my 10th or 11th year here on Voice America, and I'm very proud to be part of their lineup. I think that they have outstanding programming, which really helps to improve the quality of so many of our lives. Today, I have a really interesting guest. We're talking about what animals can bring us, how animals add such joy to our life. And personally, I don't have animals, so I'm really interested in this. And I know and I've heard from so many people the incredible joy and peace that animals can bring us. My guest is Anne Finney, and her book is Finding My Way to Moose River Farm, Living with Animals in the Adirondacks. Anne Finney is an elementary school teacher. She and her husband, Ron, own Moose River Farm, which is home to 11 horses, four dogs, three goats, two donkeys, an iguana, and a potbelly pig. Anne has published articles in Practical Horseman Magazine, Dressage Today, and Weekly Adirondack. And this is her first book. And you can log on to mooseriverfarm.com. Welcome, Anne. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is really fun. You know, you write that Moose River Farm is more than a physical space. It's where peace abounds and all that's bad in the world is dominated by all that's good. Beautiful. Would you explain that? Thank you. Yes. Uh, I have a very busy life, and uh, I describe my farm as a place where I can sort of um, reset my rhythm to living uh, because it is a very spiritual place. It's a very balanced place, and that is due in part because the Adirondacks are such a gorgeous place to live in. It's mountainous and green in the summertime and snowy and cold in the winter, mm-hmm. but also because my animals are there always to greet me and to help me kind of reset uh, the balance in my life. Mm-hmm. And you have so many. Now, how did you collect it? Was this over the years? How did all that happen? That's quite a collection. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, I, it's the dream that I had from the time I was a child. I wanted to have lots of animals. Many mm. people dream of having lots of children or having mm. a great career or whatever. But for me, it was uh, I wanted to have a collection of animals. And not that they are possessions of mine, but they are my friends and my family. And I love the relationship that I've established with each one, certainly based on their personality. Different species have different personalities, and I've had to just mine to uh, live alongside of them. Uh, what do you feel they teach you? Now, I know each one has its own personality and you have different breeds. 
So the horse has a different personality from the cat or the dog. But what do you think you'll learn from them? Because they're not always peaceful animals. They're not. And again, it has to be on their terms. I have to uh, know them as not only, not only do they have differences among their personalities, but also within their, uh, within their uh, species, there are different personalities and how they interact with each other. So what I get from that, what they have taught me, is that I really have to do a lot of listening. I have to do a lot of watching and weighing my options. And I also have to not impress so much of myself upon them that I have to let them kind of run the relationship within now, do you reason. Think that, do you think that's good advice for people in relationships with people? Definitely, and I don't want to come across as somebody who has perfect relationships, but I do, I take so much of my relationships with the animals and I try to work it into my daily life. Um, example, I work with horses. Horses are large. They, uh, they, they can't be forced to do things. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't want them to walk all over me. So I have to, at the, on their terms, I have to set the rules and, and, uh, it, um, make sure that they abide by them. And I take that same philosophy into my classroom where I work with 23 11-year-olds. Mm. And I have, I, I over and over again have taken what I've learned from the horses and applied it to the individuals in my classroom. Mm. You know, one of the stories, and I want to read this because I think this is so powerful, it's about grieving. Mm. You, we talk about, in your book, you write about Windy, who is your beloved mm-hmm. horse, mm-hmm. who taught you about grieving when Spy, another beloved horse, died. Tell us that story. Well, Windy and Spy were two old quarter horses that I had had most of their lives. Both of them came to me when, I was, when they were three years old. And uh, at 22, Spy developed a, a condition that he was not going to be able to recover from. So we allowed him to kind of live out his life, and eventually he let me know that it was time to be euthanized. He had been living with Windy. They were companions in the barn for 18 years. That's a very long time, long time in a herd to be together. So they were very close. Uh, Wendy was 25 at the time. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Wendy would have been 20, just a little bit older than Spy at the time. But anyway, we took uh, Spy out to his burial site, and the veterinarian uh, gave him the dose that would ultimately stop his heart from beating. And after, we, after he fell to the ground and was clearly dead, we allowed Wendy to do what he needed to do. We weren't really sure what that was, but we let him loose to examine the body. And what we witnessed was magical. Wendy went over to Spy's body. He, he put his nose down upon him. He stood very, very quietly between Spy's hind legs and front legs. Mm-hmm. And you could just tell that he was absorbing this death, that Mm. that was what he needed to do. He could accept it if he could just absorb it. And from that, I think that's how I handle loss in my life. It's inevitable. Mm -hmm. We're going to lose friends and family, and we're definitely going to lose our pets who don't live as long as we do. It doesn't have to be devastating. It can be sad, but there is a level of acceptance, Mm -hmm. I think, that comes along with it. You also write that Wendy eventually laid down near Spy. 
Yes. Uh, well, Wendy was a fretful horse. He didn't like to be alone. If Spy was away from him, he would uh, call for him and act very agitated. So in this process of acceptance, there were many times when Wendy would graze quietly next to Spy, but mm. several times he laid down next to him and rested, uh, which was such in contrast to how he had been when Spy was alive and Spy left his sight. So again, a really powerful, powerful message was sent to me from that experience. Yeah, and I think what you said is that it doesn't have to be, it's sad, but it doesn't have to devastate you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there's another story you write about Phoebe the fawn. Uh-huh. Who was trapped on the frozen lake and that you rescued and rehabilitated her. Hmm. Yes, well, she was, uh, by the time she was discovered, her mother had already left her, and she would have been an older fawn. It was in December. I think that she was born late in the season. She, she was very small, and um, yes, she was brought to me by a couple who watched all day and did the right thing. They waited for the mother to come back, and that never happened, and so they went out and rescued her, and she had done some damage to the muscles in her groin. She was unable to stand on them, even on her hind legs, even when she was taken off the lake. So she came to me uh, in December, right around Christmas time, <clears throat> and lived in my goat shed with her hind legs tied together softly with a piece of bandage. Mm. And uh, she really just needed to rest and to regain her strength back from her ordeal. But it gave me uh, several weeks to experience this wild animal. I tried not to handle her as much as I had to, but, you know, there certainly were things that I had to do to her that required me to lift her up, and uh, we hung her in a sling for a couple minutes uh, twice a day so that she could practice on her legs. But Mm -hmm. great experience. You know, you also write about how you worked toward your dream as a young girl where you groomed horses for the renowned International Olympic and World Cup competitor, Michael Matz. Mm-hmm. And then you owned a farm. And so, you know, now, now the culmination of all your dreams is to own this farm, Moose River. But how did those early years shape you, you know, in helping the, the World Cup competitor? Well, I was one of those kids very young who hung out at whatever barn that I possibly could. And um, I volunteered to clean stalls. I volunteered to rub on horses or groom them. I volunteered to ride anything that I possibly could. So by the time that I got my job, that got the job to work with Michael Matz, I really did have a lot of skills that I I just sort of learned. I mean, I learned because I wanted to be in the barn culture. So I was. I also at that time had spent two years at Centenary College getting my associate's degree in equine studies, and I took all of that with me to my summer jobs working for Michael. And, of course, at the level that he cares for horses and that his workers and grooms cared for horses, that built my education about horses 100% more. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really provided me with a tremendous amount of knowledge to care for them. And I apply it today, even though they are my backyard horses and they're my pets, mm-hmm. I apply a lot of those same principles to my own care in the barn. What is your advice for parents 
of girls particularly who, you know, are crazy with horses or children who are, you know, fixated on pets, what would you, what's your advice? I would hope that parents would cultivate it and do what they can financially um, afford and what they can in terms of time. A, a lot of parents are strapped with jobs, and so it's very difficult to get a child to the barn. But I do think that the rewards are worth it. Girls and horses are a natural combination. Horses provide girls with a natural way to learn nurturing, to learn how to care for something very large. Yes, they can care for a dog and a cat at home, but a horse adds an extra dimension of nurturing that I don't think you get from the animals that you have in your home. Yeah. And um, it's, it's the whole obedience training and respect, learning respect. You have to respect the horse, and, of course, he has to respect you. I think that those lessons are invaluable in young girls. Yeah. You know, I remember I interviewed several people who were psychotherapists, and their method of working with people was through horses. Mm-hmm. So you would go to their pen or their farm or their stable, and you would actually spend a week with these horses. Mm-hmm. And it was tremendous therapy and rehabilitation for people because what I got from the interviews is that the horses don't lie, this is really the way it is, and that you really get to understand your emotions very clearly through them. But it's, it's a way of therapy for a lot of people. Well, and I also think that it encourages people to have respect, to set boundaries, and to also live in a caring capacity. And that is confusing and conflicting to a lot of people. Um, A lot of people believe that they either have to be a complete marshmallow and let others, meaning other people, just walk all over them, or they have to come at them with both barrels and and stand up for themselves. And I think that that kind of therapy puts you at a balance. As you said, horses don't lie, but you still want to have a caring relationship Mm -hmm. with them. But you also are trying to develop respect. And isn't that what we all are looking for in our relationships with people? Mm. Do you think that each of the kinds of animals you have, so horses dogs, cats, uh, donkeys, do you think they have very different personalities that are distinctive to their own breed? Oh, definitely. Um, Distinctive to their own breed, yes, and of course their species. Donkeys, being very closely related to horses, have a bit more stubbornness involved. Well, we talk about that, right? We hear that all the time. Yes, exactly, the stubborn donkey. But it's not, now that I've had donkeys, and I've had them now for about a year and a half, I realize that what I deem as stubbornness is really their ability to protect themselves. Hmm. And they, they do a better job of protecting themselves and saying no than horses do, that sometimes a horse says, well, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, but I'm really afraid. A donkey Hmm. says, no, I do not trust. So I have to work harder at rewiring the trust issue, and that's something I have to work on in myself. That's interesting. Yeah. How do you think, um, Anne, that all of this has helped you in your relationships with your loved ones, family, spouse, children? Well, again, I would never profess to be to have perfect relationships, but I do carry a lot of it with me. I'm very good at 
thinking of the other side. I have mm-hmm. had to look at so many problems from a horse's point of view, a dog's yeah. point of view, a pig's point mm-hmm. of view, and a <laughs> guana point, point of view. view? <laughs> they have a point of view. They see the world from a whole different perspective, yeah. especially with the predator prey. Uh, if you're defined as a predator or prey, that's a whole different a whole different perspective. So I've, I have been able to apply it and to a fault because sometimes I'm, I'm so engrossed in seeing something from the other side and my side and the other side, it's hard for me to take a stand. But I know mm-hmm. that that comes from my relationships with these animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I've learned about horses is that horses can really help you with trust issues. Would you say that's mm-hmm. true? Absolutely. They, again, you said that they don't lie. They do not lie. And they're, because they are a prey animal, they're all about trust. They can't give until they completely trust that they are what in What do you mean when you say a prey animal? They are wired to run away when they are frightened. And they mm-hmm. don't give it a lot of thought. If they hear something or they see something that they deem as a threat to their life, they will run. Now, when you're working with a human, that's a very frightening component of what they're able to do. So we, we just, as trainers, we try not to create an atmosphere that will promote that, that will trigger the flight response. Therefore, I try to work with them quietly. Um, I... I'm very clear with my body. I do, when I'm riding them, most of my communication with them is through my body, the touch of my legs, the, the touch of my hand on the rein, which ultimately softly connects with their mouth. I try mm-hmm. to keep it very, very quiet so that they can hear exactly what I want and respond you know, favorably. You know, it's interesting as you're saying that, I'm thinking of this. When you think about your relationship with people, your loved ones, your spouse, your significant other, your children, and you think about when you touch them or when you look into their eyes or when you're stern with them, you know, that's that same kind of communication. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize how much it's affecting those people as well. We really, I don't think that a lot of us see that, but it is. We see it more in the animal because the animal cannot respond verbally. Exactly. But I think with the person, it's just, you know, that little touch, that little caress, that little hand on the shoulder, that, that all means a lot. Yes, that's we don't huge. We don't emphasize that enough. No, I think we depend too much on our words. Exactly. And we should be more body language and touch responsive. Uh, I think that we would all get along better if we took a lot of the language out of it and just reacted with our touch, with our bodies, with... Uh, the way that we do with animals. As you said, it it comes very naturally because our communication with them verbally is so limited. Mm, So true. Let's talk about some of the changes you've seen in your animals and what are some of the options for them. So as dogs get older, as horses get older, you know, when they start suffering from arthritis or cognitive changes, what would you say there? Well, veterinary medicine has advanced so in the last, certainly, 50 years, but, but exponentially, I would say, in the last 10 years, there are options. We can keep our dogs and our horses, too, believe it or not, much 
uh, in a more comfortable state through arthritic changes, through digestive upset, through uh, any kind of muscular, skeletal, soft tissue with various drugs and therapies that are available through veterinarians. Mm. So I encourage people, before you're ready to put your dog down because they are just acting lethargic suddenly, uh, schedule an appointment with your veterinarian and see if you can buy more time through very safe and effective medications that will prolong, not just prolong the days that they're living, but the quality of the days that they're living. Mm. So I think there is a lot that we can do. Massage therapy is very big. Chiropractic um, chiropractic uh, practices are, are rising all over the place to help pets in those last years, make them more comfortable. Mm. Very good. What about spring and summer tips for caring for our horses? Well, our horses in the spring generally are visited by a veterinarian to receive their vaccines. And uh, a veterinarian in whatever area can advise on what vaccines are necessary for your area. The vaccines that we give in New York State might be slightly different than those that are offered in, let's say, Florida or some of the southern states because of various diseases that we don't have to worry about here Mm -hmm. and that they would have to worry about there. So the spring is a good time to get your horses ready for the riding season with a good vet checkup and um, a good shedding or clipping or, and of course, uh, putting them into a conditioning program that will bring them into fitness hmm. safely and quickly. Yeah. I want to read another story from your book. You write about Olivia the Canada Goose. Mm-hmm. who was orphaned when a fox ate her mother. Anne still wonders, and you still wonder, how this lovely gosling escaped from the jaws of death. But when you discovered her, there was no question that you would be able to rehabilitate this orphaned baby goose. So explain about that and how you helped her to join her flock again and how she actually came back. Yes, her story is just one of my favorites. Uh, first of all, she's just a lovely, lovely animal to uh, to get to know. She was a baby. We figured that she was about probably three weeks old when she came to me. She was this ugly, very gray, feathery, downy, fluffy-looking thing. And we watched her metamorphosize into the most beautiful Canada goose throughout that summer. When she came to me, she was actually perfectly healthy. Uh, Again, we don't know how she was able to protect herself from the fox that not only killed her mother but killed her siblings as well. But she was brought to me, and from the get-go, we just protected her and fed her. And eventually, she let me know that it was time for her to go and see the world. So I would escort her down to the lake. We lived on a lake at the time, and I would give her a chance to uh, see what the water was all about. Of course, instinctually, she knew exactly what to do in, in the water. And eventually we allowed her to have her freedom, and then I would just always find her in the evening and lock her up in the barn for the night. But you can see that the progress is to get her so that she would be independent. She was a wild animal. I had no business or right to think that I could keep her as a pet for the rest of her life, even though she was assured a longer life living in captivity. But anyway, she eventually took off. 
uh, spent the rest of the summer on the lake with some wild ducks. And in the late fall, a group of Canada geese came through and spent about four days in our lake. And after they left, I never saw her again. So I wasn't completely sure that she went with them, but I, I only could suspect that she had. And the next spring, she arrived back, or the flock arrived back on their way to their summer grounds. And as they were cruising down the lake, I called to them. I called for Olivia the way that I had all the summer before. And one lone goose left the group as they continued on down the lake and made her way over towards the dock. So I threw corn out to her. She wouldn't come close enough to eat, but she certainly was interested and she was listening to my voice. And I am 99% sure that it was Olivia. And after a couple of minutes, she, I, I got the impression she was parading, showing me how beautiful <laughs> she was and she'd made it through a winter and now she was of breeding age. So uh, she turned and then followed the rest of the flock down the lake and that was the last that I saw of her. It was a beautiful, beautiful... Mm. I'm, I'm just so thankful for, for that little episode at the end because it gave me closure on her story. Mm. And we're just about to close now. So in the last few minutes we have left, Anne, what would you say to people who may not have a lot of animals or maybe thinking about having a pet? What would you say? Well, of course, I think everybody should have some kind of uh, attachment with animals. But even if you don't want to have the responsibility of an animal, get to know your wildlife that lives outside your window. You would be surprised if you sit and watch what's going on outside. You have the same birds that are visiting every day, the same squirrels, the same chipmunks, the same deer if you live in such an area. Everybody, I think, has access to some kind of relationship. It might be from a distance. It might be close up with animals. But I think it's inherently part of our human makeup to have relationships with animals. Oh, wonderful. All right. You know what I noticed, though? I noticed with all your animals, you don't have cats. I don't have cats. And the only reason we love cats, my husband and I love cats, but the only reason we don't is because our two terriers, I'm afraid, would do a cat in. So at this point in our lives, we don't have any. Our our terriers take care of any mouse problems that we have or um, any vermin that we have in the barn. So I don't really need a cat in that respect, but I do love cats, and I look forward to a time when we will have them again. All right. So just tell people how they can find your book. My book is available on Amazon, and it's also um, available, you can find out more information about it at my website, which is mooseriverfarm.com. I also do a, up, I, um, update a weekly blog there where you can learn about my animals and see pictures and videos of them there. Right, and you are in the Adirondacks in New York. Yep, Adirondacks. All right, All right. and my guest has been Anne Chi Finney. And she's the owner of Moose River Farm with your husband, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And the book is Finding My Way to Moose River Farm, Living with Animals in the Adirondacks. Thanks so much for being well, on the thank program. You. Really, thank really you. appreciate it. All right, hold on for a minute. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, this wraps up this edition of Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on Voice America, America's Voice. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Have a great week.
Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.